This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today I sat down and talked to Alexis Dahl. Alexis is a science communicator. She has a YouTube series, uh, Alexis Dahl on YouTube, uh, where she breaks down and combines history and science together. Uh, So it was fun to hear about her journey to becoming a science communicator and what that looked like. Also, we touched on writing because that's been a world that I've been uh, somewhat surprisingly engaged in. Uh, So I enjoyed this one. I hope you do as well. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Hello, Alexis. Thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm here to talk to you about your journey to becoming a science communicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can you get into pre-science communicator? What was your deg- degree in? Yeah. Uh, so my degree, the it's a long, unwieldy title. Um, I have a bachelor's of science in biopsychology, cognition, and neuroscience. Okay. Um, which is a uh, it's a department at the University of Michigan that you could really go in a lot of directions with. Okay. Um, some people really leaned into the neuroscience part of the title and then went on to go to you know med school, PhD school. Um, other people leaned into the psychology and cognition part okay. and did psychology. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. So yeah, that was my degree um, to kind of speak into where I was before SciComm. Um, I entered college. So I've, I've loved science my whole life. Mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated by just the world around me, asking questions. Um, I watched a lot of uh, science documentaries on the History Channel growing up. That, mm-hmm. that sparked a lot for me. Um, but I went into college thinking I either wanted to be a doctor or possibly a neuroscientist, go the the PhD route. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of how I spent my first two years pursuing that path. And I ended up um, over the summer after my sophomore year, so halfway through college, working in this prostate cancer research lab, Hmm. um, which was great. I got to to shadow a doctor, um, got to learn more about what it's like to be a, you know, a bench scientist. Uh, And that summer very quickly realized, oh, shoot, I don't want to do either of the things I thought I did. Sure. Um, so I was I was sitting there kind of thinking, like, great, I'm halfway through college. How hard do I want to pivot? And where do I even want to go? Right. Um, and I was invited just kind of casually. There was this event happening on campus, some kind of biology conference. I couldn't even tell you what it is. Um, but I was invited to, you know, come to the keynote speaker with my my coworkers. And the uh, the speaker was Dr. Francis Collins, okay. who I'm not sure if he still <clears throat> is the director of the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, but definitely was at the time. Okay. Um, and I remember he, whatever he said in his his opening remarks, part of it was some kind of call for effectively some people to step away from the lab bench um, and tell people about research. Hmm. That's probably an awful paraphrase, but that that's how I remember it from several years ago. Um, I think that was the first moment of realizing like, 
science communications a career. Mm-hmm. Like there are people who just take complicated information and get the public excited about it. Um, and it was like a light bulb yeah. went off. So I ended up, uh, I was actually a, a straight neuroscience major at that time. Um, that program was, uh, that degree program was a little more, I'm going to say in the weeds. Okay. Um, and I looked at that and went, I don't need this insanely hard neuroscience degree to do what I now want to do with my career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to switch to this broader biopsych path, uh, picked up a minor in writing and tried really hard to get some experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was kind of how I ended up starting down this path in the first place. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. So what was that light bulb moment like? Was that crazy? Like, uh, yeah, can you can you describe that? I'm curious, was it yeah. like you were lost, not knowing you're looking for, and all of a sudden it's like, here it is right in front of you kind of thing, or what was that like? Yeah, to be honest, kind of. Okay. Um, I'm not a particularly dramatic person, but like that was a little bit what that situation was like. Um, I think something I'd been thinking about, so I've always been into science. It's been a, a theme throughout my life. Um, but I've also always been into the arts. Uh, I've been writing. Um, I wrote a lot of fiction hmm. as a kid, but I've loved writing since as long as I can remember. Um, I've been into photography and videography since, you know, my dad handed me his bulky camcorder in the late 90s hmm. and said, like, go play. Right, right. <laughs> um, and at this time, you know, in college, I was kind of thinking, well, is there any way that I can combine all of these things in a career? Um, cause I think you always hear people saying like, oh, do I go down the science path? Do I go down the art path? And I had never really realized, oh, there's plenty of overlap where mm-hmm. you get to do both of those things. Um, yeah. So realizing just writing about, uh, creating, you know, various kinds of content around science was a, a viable path. Yeah. Absolute light bulb. Yeah. Right. I, I somewhat related to, I'm it's funny. I, my, my mind's going a few different directions. Um, I somewhat relate it to though, in the engineering world, my whole world is sales, right? (laughs) Uh, and in the, I think about the engineering world and the very technical minded world that if you can intersect those two things, Mm. uh, which are typically two very different things, just like you in the art and the science world, right? Yeah. yeah. If you can intersect those, there's a pretty magical moment that I think, uh, that a lot of engineers aren't typically sales oriented and a Mm. lot of salespeople aren't typically engineering oriented, right? Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that's the same thing. And is there some pretty special magical moment in the combination of the art and science side of things? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Could you rephrase the question? No, no, so, uh, not necessarily or, a question, yeah, but yeah. I just wonder if there's a correlation again between the mm. engineering and the sales, how that there is that magical moment in the middle, Got or if it. you have people that can live and dance in both worlds, mm-hmm. uh, same thing for you in the art and the science world. Yeah. Right? And that's what you're getting at. Yeah. Uh, but also, so it wasn't even necessarily a question, but just finding sure. a correlation there, but also thinking, it's funny. One thing I've learned on this podcast is a lot of people's life trajectories change with these minor little moments. Mm, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Somebody says this little thing and crossing or, or a friend or a family member says this, or you went to this speech and this guy had this opening remarks and you're like, wait a minute, now your life <laughs> is just way different. How uh-huh. crazy is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Um, and I've, I've also heard similar stories of that. I've heard this idea of, um, it's, I've seen it come up in various, you know, books and, and writings, whatever, of the idea of living in like constant anticipation. Okay. Um, the idea of like, okay, you know, what could happen next? Hmm. Um, or kind of keeping an eye out for, uh, I saw it most recently in the context of a book I'm reading. Uh, it's called Dream Big by Bob Goff. Okay. Um, I think Bob Goff is great. Um, but kind of in the context of like, okay, you've got this big ambition. What would it look like to go around the world 
with, you know, one eye open thinking like, what could happen next? What opportunity could present itself to like propel me toward this ambition that I have? Hmm. Um, Did you think about that before you got into the like hardcore heavy into the science communication side, that dream big book? Or is it during, after? What Mm. was that timeline like? Yeah, the book came out in 2020, Okay, I think. So it's, um, and I started on my kind of science communication journey officially in 2014, 2015. Okay. So there was was a bit of a gap. Sure. Um, Yeah, but I think I've always had a little bit of that mindset. Mm -hmm. Uh, A thing about me, I'm a Christian and pretty... Uh, pretty excited about my faith. Yeah. So I think there's been something about that that's kind of lent itself to, to for me, the lens of like, okay, like what could God do next in this scenario? Sure. Um. Yeah. But but uh, encountering that book and kind of finding a different description of it, I was like, oh yeah, that's the that's kind of the way I try to experience the world. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Writers are great. <laughs> right. Right. So <clears throat> getting back to the timeline, yeah. you had that light bulb moment. You switched to more of a general science field versus a very niche yeah i i chose to make the uh degree a little more general okay Um, but then what was the process after that Uh, Mm -hmm. the science communicating world did you have people that you watched uh or that you knew that kind of guided you or and and what were the steps that you took into getting into that world yeah it was it was interesting um so kind of the beginning my my earliest thought i guess when i realized like oh this is a career um, at the time, I was watching a lot of the YouTube series SciShow okay. uh, that was started by a guy named Hank Green, who's a phenomenal science communicator, and he's got you know this excellent team of people making this show. Um, and SciShow is kind of uh, counterintuitive science, just kind of marveling at the world, clarifying things. It's it's very broad. The videos are about all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also watching a lot of that show that summer. And I remember, you know, watching some SciShow episode over my lunch break and going, I want to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just the <clears throat> the video format really appealed to me. Um, I'd been making my own YouTube videos as like a, a hobby since I was about 16. Okay. Um, not, not about science, just video blogs and, and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the video format appealed to me. And also just something about video and science communication is you get to see a host's face often right um like you can see someone being visually excited or you know visually conveying the tone that they want which just appealed to me i thought that was a cool um medium Mm -hmm. but uh there was a long road before anything like that happened (laughs) um so yeah the the first step was i started on a a minor in writing at michigan um as soon as i got back to school in the fall Mm -hmm. which was a really cool program um it's kind of a minor in I believe they described it as like multimodal writing. Okay. Um, but it wasn't just showing up for class and writing essays. Right. Uh, there was some of that, but like my my capstone project, um, the semester I was getting ready to graduate, was super open-ended. You got to like pick a topic. You had to design a website around it. Um, so it was figuring out how to convey information that way. Uh, I did a few videos. I had an assignment at one point that was like, making a movie trailer, hmm. um, like repurposing an essay you wrote into a movie trailer. There was all kinds of stuff, writing for all kinds of formats. Um, so I did that. And uh, so started that program. Junior year goes by. I was lucky enough to get an internship after junior year um, at the Smithsonian Science Education Center hmm. in Washington, D.C. Um, so they do a lot of, uh, they make some like curriculum materials for teachers 
Uh, but what I was involved in was kind of their their publications division. Okay. Um, so I spent a summer roaming around D.C., uh, being at all of the museums, um, writing, uh, just kind of blog posts about various topics intended for like eighth graders. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I got to attend as as part of that. I guess the constant anticipation thing. Um, I kind of not not jokingly, but like with the mindset of no way this is going to happen. Um, I applied for a media pass to go up to Johns Hopkins, Johns Hopkins in Maryland. Okay. Um, the day that the New Horizons mission to Pluto was going to fly by Pluto. Huh. Um, have you heard of that at all? A little bit. No. Okay. Yeah. I, I will get... You go into it, yeah. Yeah, I will yeah. get super excited about it. Um, so this mission took... I'm in a ballpark. I don't think this is the exact number. Something like nine, ten years um, from launch to get to Pluto. Okay. And this was the the first time we had ever seen the planet. Hmm. Um, yeah, Pluto's really too far away to see any kind of notable detail in telescopes. Okay. Um, so this was uh, going to be the moment, um, this thing I was applying for a media pass for, where the the whole science team was there, all the journalists were there, the people who worked on the mission. Um, and it was a little bit of a symbolic thing. Uh, so it was going to be the moment that New Horizons passed Pluto. Uh, the reason it's a little symbolic is because Pluto is so far and radio waves, you know, light waves take so long to get from Pluto to Earth. Right. Um, it's when New Horizons passed Pluto, it, you know, the, the spacecraft sent a little signal to Earth basically saying, yep, I made it. Like, mm-hmm. We're good. And that signal was going to take several hours uh, to even reach the science team. Right. Um, but there was this this big celebration, um, assuming that it had worked. <laughs> uh, it, it, it did work. It's great. Yeah. Um, the photos are beautiful. Pluto huh. has a giant heart on it. It's one of the things we learned. Crazy. Um, yeah, but but all in all, all that to say, uh, it was my first experience at a big science media event. Okay. Um, and for some reason, maybe it's because I was a Smithsonian intern. Maybe they had enough media passes to hand out that day. Um, they let me come and I got to see like, here's what it looks like to be a science journalist at a big event like this. Yeah. Um, I got to hear the kind of questions people asked at like the press conferences. I got to hear um, how to ask good follow-up questions. Hmm which was a big thing, a big learning thing for me. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, spent the summer in DC and that was kind of the the high point um, or that, that showed me a lot about what I thought I might be getting into. Right. Um, and it was a little bit the opposite of my, uh, you know, research lab internship the previous summer. Um, I like jumped into this, this press event and instead of going like, oh no, I don't want this. I went, oh yes, this is the correct field for me. Right, right. Um, yeah, so did that in D.C. after junior year, came back, and again, through just like a weird um, set of happy coincidences, I ended up being hired on as the social media manager and a, a writer for um, Michigan's aerospace department. Okay. And and that was another weird scenario. I like reached out on a whim, um, basically saying like, hi, do you want to volunteer for your Instagram account? Because your department does amazing things. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like you're publicizing that. Right. Um, and I got called into a meeting with, uh, I don't remember what her title was, you know, the, the communications person, mm-hmm. effectively. Um, and she was like, oh my gosh, so thrilled you got in touch. Our social media person just left. Hmm. Can we hire you? <laughs> right. Um, can I, can yeah. I jump back to the, oh, yeah, uh, the Pluto? Yeah. Day? 
how did you learn how to ask better follow-up questions just by watching other people did they physically teach you that how mm. did you learn that yeah it was observation okay um yeah i think a big thing for me especially like really early on in my career um was borderline being intimidated by such like brilliant researchers okay um so it was kind of my my brain was like okay you, you've done it you've come up with like a you know i think my i was too focused on like asking questions that made it seem like i knew what i was talking about sure um but like okay great you've come up with this clever insightful question you've asked it and oh no now you have to listen to what they're saying mm -hmm. and come up with a follow-up question if you have one <laughs> right um yeah so watching other people do that effectively is how you learn that mm -hmm. yeah okay and what was it that you learned just to be a better listener or what was the yeah i think um i wouldn't say i learned everything okay. at that at that pluto new horizons event um it was something i kept learning over mm -hmm. time and with practice um but i think something that was just really freeing for me and all of that was realizing that yeah some journalists who've been in this field for you know quite a while and have really done their homework yeah, people will ask really detailed, insightful questions, mm -hmm. but it's also okay. I learned from, you know, people at that event and also just watching other um, journalists and similar folks over time. Like, it's also okay to ask really basic questions, right? Um, which, yeah, I was just so intimidated by the whole thing early on that that it might have, you know, occurred to me, but it hadn't really sunk in that, yeah, yeah you're just there. You're there as a journalist to help you know, depends on your publication. But for me, I've always done um, writing for like a general audience. Sure. It's like, yeah, you're there to help anyone who's curious on the street understand this topic. Right. Of course you can ask like the basic questions. That's fine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's cool. There's a lot of, whether it's intentional or not, but internal crossover between all the things that you're talking about right now and myself internally oh, cool. mm -hmm. the writing side of things of course the follow-up mm -hmm. question side of things that's what this is all about right, <laughs> right. questions and follow-up questions whatever else but i'm curious so I, I do at some point before we get off want to talk about the writing side that's oh, yeah. a, a world that i've been somewhat surprisingly pumped on lately but anyways Sweet. um the what was that like that day that you were there was it you were surrounded by I'm just picturing that to be pretty crazy. Just surrounded by people that are like, this is who I want to be. And then you've got these scientists who are part of this program. What was that experience like on a on a personal level? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, it was very busy. Okay. So the it was, I think we maybe took over, I'm not quite sure what the building was, called a conference center. Mm -hmm. um, you had one giant room that was just constantly filled with people. Uh, and the fascinating thing was you never quite knew who any of them were but all of them were probably important. Mm -hmm. um, you had a mix of like mission scientists, people who had programmed and built parts on the spacecraft. Um, the the uh, PI for the mission was was wandering around doing interviews all the time and just being important. Mm. Um, and then you also had, you know, incredible journalists. Uh, I would occasionally spot someone and be like, I think I, I, think I know you. Like, mm. I think I've seen your name on the back of a book or like mm. heard about it online. Um, Bill Nye was there. Crazy. Um, yeah. I, I got a picture with him, which was surreal. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just and then of course, you know, there there were some like uh interns at um at JPL at the at the physics lab that summer who so some more people my age. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, it was just it was busy, but it seemed like some of it was fun busy, especially for the mission team. But for journalists, it was busy, but everybody seemed to know exactly what they were doing. Sure. Um yeah which 
to be fair, uh, someone who has spent slightly longer in the industry now was probably not 100% true, mm -hmm. but that was definitely my like impression of it as a you know, young writing intern. For sure, right. Um, you walk into the room thinking everybody has it figured out, right? And then eventually you realize that we're all just trying to stumble our way through. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, especially when I uh, walked into the press room at some point, just a, a classroom or something set aside for journalists. And there were people like, I, I met one guy. He's like, oh yeah, I write for the New York Times. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, right. That's funny. Um, so I derailed you from the the next story that you're oh, getting yeah. into social media management. What, what was that like? You were just, she hired you, their person had quit the day before? Something yeah, like that, yeah, more or less. Okay. Um, yeah, so that was, so the... I guess if I had to characterize kind of my early science communication journey, um, the Smithsonian internship in DC was kind of the the real springboard to get mm -hmm. me into the field. Um, this this aerospace job doing social media, and I would occasionally help with like writing articles for the website about department research or things like that. Um, that was really laying the foundation that I think I realized in hindsight would set me up for my career after college. Okay. Um, yeah, the work was was pretty straightforward. Um, it was social media, it was writing. Um, but I think walking out of college and being able to say like, here's my experience. Um, here are samples that I've written. Um, yeah, people love samples in mm -hmm. the science writing world. Uh, here are my samples that I've written. Here are, you know, metrics I increased at the aerospace department. Um, that uh, my first job after college ended up being running social media for an aviation company Okay, as, as it all worked out. Right. Um, yeah. So I realized, you know, that student job was a blast mm -hmm. uh, at Michigan. So it just continued to reinforce like, yes, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, but also gave me just some super practical experience. For sure. Right. Yeah. So then you went social media. I, I, do you mind if we just stick along the trajectory? Because yeah, I, I want to get to where you're at today. And yes. then what that trajectory is like and how that's changed you and all that and, and what's in the future and all that kind of stuff. But so you had the social media for the aviation company. Yep. Did you do that until you became a science writer or communicator like you are today? Or yeah. what was that? It was a little <clears throat> bit uh parallel paths. Okay. Um. So the, the experience I had applying for jobs. So I graduated in, when did I graduate? 2016. Um, and kind of, I saw two paths before me. I was like, well, I want to go into science writing. Mm -hmm. And I was I was mainly focused on just writing at that point. I was okay. like, I love video, but the number of science video jobs is even smaller than the number of science writing jobs. Mm -hmm. And the number of writing jobs is already pretty small. Right. So, um, and I was like, well, one path you can do is a lot of writers, um, so they go freelance, mm -hmm. which I'm like, okay, I'm a 22-year-old with, a not insignificant number of bills I'm going to have to pay soon. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I don't, I'm not going to go the freelance route right now. Um, and then as I was applying for writing jobs, a surprising number of them, maybe not surprising, but a significant number of them asked for um, just like a master's degree in the specific topic, mm. uh, which I have varying opinions about, sure. um, about whether that's actually effective or not. But anyway, pieces of paper I did not have. Right. Um, and then the couple of jobs I applied for, I either just didn't get or didn't hear back because they might have been looking for someone with more experience than a, a fresh college grad. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of looked around and went, well, I do have this like social media management skill set now, so I'll pursue that, um, which is how I ended up at that aviation company. Okay. But the the parallel pass where that comes in at the same time, um, that summer, so summer after graduation, I... Uh, Again, just more wonderful, like delightful little happenstance type things. 
um, I got a, it might've, might've been an email. It could have been a Tumblr message mm -hmm. <laughs> um, from uh, somebody I was in marching band with in college. And, oh yeah, I, I remember this now. She, um, her name's Rachel. Rachel was like, hey, I saw this job posting on Tumblr that reminded me of you. You should check it out. Hmm. Uh, and so several years earlier, at the start of my SciComm career, I was like, oh yeah, SciShow, um, this YouTube series. I want to do something like that. Mm -hmm. What Rachel sent me was SciShow was trying to hire freelance writers for um, one of their, their sub-channels, SciShow Space, hmm. which was perfect. Right. Um, it was a freelance gig, so not full-time, but... I looked at kind of the work I had done. I looked at this New Horizons thing. I looked at the work I'd done with the aerospace department, writing all this stuff about space. Um, I looked at my interest in video and just even the video, like hobby video script writing projects I had done mm -hmm. and went, oh my gosh, I think I could apply for this. Right. Um, so yeah, while I was on this path of, you know, full-time social media, uh, I ended up applying for this, this SciShow freelance writer mm -hmm. and got it. Hmm. Um and they kept me around. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, they kept assigning me scripts. I got to pitch them ideas. And um, this relationship went on for a year. Okay. And it was amazing. Right. Um, it was, you know, the social media thing was great. Paid the bills, learned some stuff, you know, no, no, um, no gripes there. Um, but on the side, like I would come home after work or on the weekends and get to write video scripts that would be seen by a hundred thousand people mm. about I think at some point I, I wrote several about like here's some of the new results from the New Horizons mission to Pluto. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. Yeah. So the sci show side of things, you were writing scripts, you weren't actually in the videos themselves, you're right. writing them for other people, or what was that like? Yeah. Okay. So the the way the sci show team is set up, um, it kind of starts Okay, the way the SciShow team was set up at the time, I can speak into that, um, was it would kind of start with the editorial team okay. um, and they would pitch and workshop ideas, would give those ideas to usually a freelance writer. Um, they'd get edited and polished and then shipped off to the studio where a host would would present them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. And that was enjoyable? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, Did you feel like you got to peek behind the curtain a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Um, during those early freelance days yeah just a little bit okay i think the biggest experience that was helpful for me was being edited by a really talented editor okay. in the kind of work like i someday aspired to do because hmm. um, mainly what i had written was in in my previous you know intern etc experience was i'd written for print okay um so having the experience of being writing a video script and me, you know, walking in full of uh, confidence, thinking like, oh, yeah, I've been watching and doing my own YouTube videos for years. I've probably got this. Yeah. And getting a script back from the editor of like, this needs to change. That's not conversational. This needs to <laughs> was uh, was humbling and wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I learned a lot. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. 
They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Okay. What were they editing out? And again, I'm somewhat <laughs> particularly interested in this world. Like I'm reading a book on writing right now. Oh, uh, yeah. Cool. What were they editing out? I suppose it's different, right? Because you're, like you said, it's a conversational thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what they're editing doesn't necessarily apply to a, a, a written text, but still, what were they editing out that you're like, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Eliminate this or add this or talk in this context. Can you get into the specifics of that? Oh yeah. Yeah. No problem. Um, yeah. So some of it, some of it does definitely apply to print writing or other kinds of writing as well. Um, conversation wise, I don't remember what, you know, some of my exact first edits were, mm-hmm. but things that um, would often come up are like uh, small things you wouldn't think about of like, if you, so as we're, we're talking right now, I've probably done it 45 times, mm-hmm. um, like pause in the middle of a sentence, say something, and then keep moving on. Right. So as you were writing that, you might use start a sentence, put a dash, put in a thought, put in another dash and keep going. Okay. Um, it sounds super conversational. If you are a host trying to read that off a teleprompter, it is surprisingly difficult. Sure. Um, Yeah. So some were conversational things. Some were like, you think this is conversational, but this is going to be really difficult for the host Mm -hmm. and they're going to trip over it. Um, And then a lot of clarity edits were really helpful. I think one of the biggest things I learned um, that maybe largely applies I've seen it apply a lot in science communication, but it if you're trying to explain anything, I've found it helpful. Um, analogies can either be excellent or unnecessarily confusing. Sure. Um, and me where I was, and this would have been summer 2016, I was a big fan of unnecessarily confusing analogies that I thought were helpful. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I wonder if that's, uh, is that a difference in the way your brain works because they're helpful for you internally or? Yeah. I don't know. It's that might be a little of it. Okay. Um, I think some of it was just me being frankly an immature science communicator sure. and not trusting my viewer enough. Okay. Um, because I the way I see it now, you know, however many years later, six years later, um, is if a viewer is coming to a science video, they probably want to understand the topic. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably a safe assumption. Um, so now I've taken it as like, okay, it's my job as the writer or the the editor or whomever, whatever role I'm playing. Mm-hmm. Um, to be as clear and straightforward as possible. Sure. Um, okay. Versus before, I think there was, I don't think I consciously thought this, but I think there was at least some part of my brain that was like, wow, this topic, you know, this physics topic or, or what have you is super complicated. Uh, rather than just doing a good job and trying to like parse it down to the most, you know, to the basics and start mm-hmm. from there. I was like, well, let's just, Let's just roll an analogy over this so the viewer will know what this thing is like, but then they won't actually have to, you know, burden themselves by learning how it actually works, Hmm. which, you know, past me, she was doing her best. (laughs) Right. Okay. Cool. Uh, So you did that for a year. And then after that, what was the what was the next progression in the steps? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that one, uh, after this comes the next big step. Okay. um, Or the possibly one of the biggest steps. So for a year, I did social media Mm full-time and then SciShow Freelance. And get to the end of that year, a little bit of personal background here. So the social media job, I moved from uh, Michigan down to Kansas to to work at this company. 
Um, and my uh, my husband, my, who's my boyfriend at the time, the original plan was great. He would move down to Kansas as well. Um, he's an aerospace engineer. So there were some job opportunities for him there. Mm-hmm. A year goes by. This doesn't happen for, for various reasons. Um, just companies are not hiring. Mm-hmm. And um, Pete, uh, his name starts, Pete's like, well, I'm going to go to grad school. Uh, I'm going to go get my master's degree and just further my education. I'll probably need a master's at some point anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, he applies. He gets in to the University of Michigan. Okay. I'm like, oh, shoot. I love Ann Arbor. He, uh, you know, this was the correct choice for him in every way. Mm-hmm. But if I stay in Kansas, I'm committing to like another two years of this long distance relationship. Yeah. Which neither of us were thrilled about. Right. Um, so I start, I was like, well, okay, I think it's time for me to leave the social media job. Because um, also just working remotely was not even a thing that crossed my mind at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot has changed in the last couple of years. <laughs> uh, but I was like, okay, it's time for me to leave the social media job. I want something that will let me move back to Southeast Michigan, mm-hmm. ideally move back to Ann Arbor. Uh, I get an email from one of the editors at SciShow I've been working with for the last year. And she says, hey, we're trying to hire a full-time editor. It's remote. Are you interested? Hmm. Yes, absolutely. I was <laughs> interested. Right. Uh, like not only was this, you know, checking all of my um, logistics, practical boxes for what I wanted in a job, but also I was having flashbacks to 2014 and going where, where I was sitting at my computer at the, you know, hospital laboratory going, oh, I'd love to do something like SciShow someday. Mm-hmm. And this email turns up saying, hey, do you want to do work for SciShow? Right. Um, yeah. So accepted the job or you know, applied, was interviewed, was offered a job, uh, accepted the job. Yep. Um, they didn't come to me with it on a silver platter by any means. Uh, but yeah, I was able to move back to Ann Arbor and I ended up staying at SciShow until early 2021. Okay. Um, so roughly three, four-ish years. Mm-hmm. Um, as an editor that whole time? So it was partly as an editor. Okay. Um, so I started as an editor and was that for you know about half my time. Um, and then was actually promoted to, uh, at the time, the, the position was called content manager. Um, it was switched shortly after I left. The title was like managing editor. Okay. Um, so basically not just editing scripts, but also uh, just supervising and running the editorial team and, hmm. and things like that. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think that that um, whole experience, and feel free to ask follow-up questions, um, but that whole several years at SciShow, uh, had an enormous impact on who I am as a science communicator now and also what I'm doing today. Yeah. Um, so that's my preface. Okay. And I was going to ask that, how did that help you with what you're doing today? I mean, editing mm-hmm. other people's writing, other people's scripts that had to have been tremendously helpful internally. Yeah. 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 Um, so some of it was, uh, yeah, editing is a great way to become a better writer, or at least it was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I've a, a big thing I've learned um, is if you're, teaching someone at some point you're gonna have to correct them or give feedback Mm -hmm. as you do and if you have to give feedback you have to know why you're changing what you're changing um i think there was a certain amount of like early on like editing on instinct Mm -hmm. that just happened if i would look at a sentence and go "Eh, that's not that clear i'm gonna shuffle some words around or i'm gonna rephrase this Mm -hmm. um but then comes the point where you have to go back to the writer and take that from intuitive editing to explaining oh, here's why this paragraph was not as clear as it could have been. Hmm. Here's why I made this change. Because um, no writer wants to get their piece back and have it totally marked up with no explanation. Right, right. Um, 
yeah, so I learned a lot about better writing and um, just making things like clear and interesting and fun. Um, but another big part of my work at SciShow was also um, uh, pitches. Okay. Uh, so sometimes we got pitches from uh, freelance writers. Mm -hmm. So it would be my job as an editor to review a pitch and either go, oh, yeah, love it. I'm going to bring this to the, the content team meeting mm -hmm. um, or look at it and go, it's almost there. I think it needs this. I'm going to edit it up a little bit and then bring it to the team meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and then some of it was just straight up coming up with ideas. Sure. Um, so then you would show up at this meeting uh, with the with the editors and the managing editor and, and whomever um, and basically sit down and go through these ideas and kind of not pick them apart, but have really detailed discussions of like, okay, what's the goal of this one? Mm -hmm. um, or, okay, if the goal is this, how much detail are you going to include about this sub point? Okay. Um, so I think through that process, so through editing, learned a lot, but also through the process of like workshopping ideas, mm -hmm. I started learning like, um, you know, here's what makes a compelling introduction or um, here's the appropriate amount of detail to go into that that satisfies your viewer without dragging the episode on for 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. Uh and that, I asked you about seeing behind the curtain during that, that three to four years, you really got to see behind the curtain at that point? So much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the uh, the SciShow office is based in Missoula, Montana. Cool. Where I did not live. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was going to get really excited for a bit. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wait, why? I, Montana. I love it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I went out to Missoula a few times. Okay. I think about once a year I, I would go out. Um, so yeah, on the content side... I lived behind the curtain, um, okay. coming up with ideas and workshopping scripts and helping with um, like the strategy of the channels, you know, where it made sense to. And then when I went to Missoula, I got to sit in on shoots mm -hmm. um, and see things of like, uh, here's what the, the camera people are doing. Here's what it looks like to host a SciShow episode um, and how that differs from the final like super polished thing that gets published. Um, and then also just really helped me see behind the curtain um, were some of the exper other experiences I had as an editor, some of the kind of like special side projects I would mm -hmm. pick up. Um, I think the the biggest two that taught me the most were two um, field shoots I got to do. So there were a couple of instances where uh, I'm not quite sure how I got, who let me do this, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it, it started the 50th anniversary of um, the Apollo 11 landing was coming up. Uh, and there were, were talks of SciShow making its first documentary. Okay. Um, which most of the videos are four to 11, 12 minutes long. Mm -hmm. This was going to be a half hour documentary. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how it happened, but at some point somebody went, oh, Alexa should host it. <laughs> huh. uh, I'm not, I think it's because I spent a lot of time working on SciShow space scripts. Okay. Um, and I think partly a big feature of this documentary was going to be interviews. Okay. Um, so one way or another, somebody suggested I do it. Um, I I accepted. I thought it sounded like a blast. But but all in all, the end result was I spent a week and a half traveling around the uh, basically from Washington D.C. down to Florida, over to Alabama. Hmm. Um, it was me and one other person okay. um, who uh, was a producer, and. Um, I got to just learn more about how she did her job because hmm. um, my job was easy. I just got to, you know, you know, I, 
by the time we started on the trip, most of my job was done. Okay. I had prepped my questions. I found my people to interview. I got those meetings set up. So I would just show up and sit down and, and chat with someone like mm -hmm. we're doing now, except it was about Apollo 11. Right. Um, but I got to learn from uh, Hiroka, the producer of like, oh, here's how she's doing audio. Simple things of like, here's how you clip on a lav mic. Hmm. Um, or like, here's how she's thinking about the camera and the lighting. Um, yeah, so I got to learn more about the the production side of things from that trip. And then uh, a couple years later, um, I was asked to, to co-host a another field shoot out at Olympic National Park in Washington. Okay. Um, and that was that was not interviews, that was scripted. But again, similar thing. By the time I showed up, I knew my lines. So I just got to host a video and then learn how like learn and witness how how audio and video were done. Yeah. Was that a world that you ever envisioned you'd get into of being the host in that video? Like well, before somebody mentioned that, what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, only in my wildest pipe dreams. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, starting on my my science communication journey, it was always about, you know, writing and, and what have you. Um, but I've always enjoyed hosting things. Okay. Um, it might have started when I was 16 and making mediocre YouTube videos in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, something about me is I'm a very easily excitable person. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm excited about something, it's, I, I think it's pretty apparent. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I've just recognized just like, oh, the power of that in, in video hosting. Right. Because um, the difference between you know, somebody deadpanning or, you know, just whatever, mm -hmm. um, not being super lively about an incredible topic versus the energy someone can bring if they're genuinely super excited about it, I think can make all the difference in, in terms of viewer experience. It's everything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but so that was something you had thought about, but maybe you thought was far-fetched. Yeah. Being a host. Yeah. Um, it was like the, the thought had crossed my mind a couple of times with SciShow specifically of like, oh, could I ever be a SciShow host mm -hmm. someday? Because um, there's, I'm not sure how many there are now, but there were, there's a small stable of folks who would rotate in on episodes. Mm -hmm. um, but it was always the, as soon as I had that thought, it was like, well, no, that's not going to happen hmm. because SciShow is in Missoula, Montana, mm -hmm. and that's where all the hosts are. Um, and yeah, my, my now husband was in grad school and we weren't moving to Montana. <laughs> yeah. Was that pretty cool when somebody mentioned that? I'm thinking about the member before we were talking how little moments mm -hmm. can make a big difference. Was that a little moment that made a big difference? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely. I think just as soon as someone had the suggestion, uh, I was my boss at the time. She was like, well, Lexus could host it. And it was this moment for me of like, okay, I've got to be excited, but not make it weird. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm very interested, though. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And so that worked out. You said your job was easy, but was it still, I picture there'd be a lot of anticipation for that first time to actually be a host. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the hardest part about it was that, um, so by comparison, the the trip to Washington a couple years later, that was easy peasy mm -hmm. um, because I, I wrote the scripts for those three videos. So all I was doing was memorizing lines I had written for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I just got enough practice with it and got comfortable with it. And, and memorizing lines isn't super taxing for me. Mm -hmm. um, but that I got to just show up and, you know, uh, enthusiastically and genuinely rattle off words I had memorized. Right. Um, what was most intimidating with this first time as a host was that it was all interviews. Yeah. Uh, 
And, you know, the world of asking follow-up questions yeah. <laughs> came back to haunt me. Um, but yeah, I was grateful that the folks I interviewed were all just professionals, super easy to talk to. Um, yeah, we're not... Uh, we're not particularly scary. So that, that helped a lot. Okay. Um, and did you have things that you specifically thought about for follow-up questions or how did you approach that? Mm, yeah. So I think I came up with a lot of, in my questions list that I'd prepared, a lot of um, like two-part questions. Okay. So I, I might start off with like, tell me a bit about, um, tell me a bit about Apollo 1. Mm -hmm. And then we'd, we'd chat about that. And maybe I'd have uh, th this two-part question of like, okay, great. You've told me about Apollo 1. What do you think about this specific aspect of it? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, things that could easily be follow-up questions. Um, but I also think something that helped a difference between that like New Horizons scenario, you know, several years prior and this Apollo documentary um, was that I had become a subject matter expert in Apollo 11. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, so it felt a little bit less like I had to rack my brain for like, oh, shoot, what do I say now? Mm -hmm. And more of like, oh, I've spent three weeks reading about this mission. I'm going I'm to ask you about something related that I happen to know about now. Mm -hmm. Did you, and I'm curious because, again, it, there's a lot of crossover here. Mm -hmm. This is very off the cuff for me, right? I just, if I if something comes to me, I ask it. Oh, yeah. May not always be the best question, but I'm curious, did you get to the point or did you think about being able to ask totally on? planned questions mm. i definitely asked several unplanned questions okay um i was about to say did i plan to do that but no yeah. by definition right. <laughs> um yeah i think a a thing that i was thinking about too is there were really specific specific topics and specific kinds of information i wanted to make sure got into the documentary okay um so i definitely had i'll, I'll call it a to-do list of topics sure um but yeah there were a handful of times i you know, switched gears or, or asked something I hadn't planned to. Okay. Right. And some of that, I wonder, I still want to stay along the trajectory, but I'm yeah, also wondering yeah. about, do you, I think we'll partially save this, but I think as your confidence increase in your knowledge, also in your excitement level, mm -hmm. in your enthusiasm, in your, like you said, the subject matter expert portion, uh, I think you just, you get more confident and more comfortable and willing to you're just able to react oh, yeah. spontaneously versus I need to be 10 steps ahead of myself right now. Yeah. You, th you think that's true? Yeah, that at least was very true for me. Okay. Um, that's been a big thing as I've gotten older and gotten more experienced with interviews in particular mm -hmm. is not feeling like I, you know, being able to, to drive a conversation without feeling like I have to have a 24 step plan of exactly how it's going to go. Right. Uh, because people are also unpredictable and that's what makes them interesting. <laughs> right, right. No, for sure. And, and I would have been the same way at some point where I need, I want to know what are the next things that we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, that way I can prepare myself internally for those things or whatever else. But you, it's an enjoyable place to be when you can get to the point where it doesn't matter. Like, where mm -hmm. is this conversation going to go? Yeah. We don't know, right? Uh, and I think that's a cool thing about an interview that I've talked about quite a bit is me sitting down asking you these questions. We could probably get super technical, mm -hmm, right? Sure, yeah. Or we could go any different direction, but the inner, the person asking the questions, and if it is a spontaneous thing, there's a, a very significant difference between the interview that I would have asking you versus somebody else having oh, yeah. that's, that asked you, right? So I think that's where your enthusiasm, your uniqueness, your life history shines and comes through and, and, and the content and the interviews that you have is a reflection of who you are. Even mm -hmm. though you're just asking questions, it's still a reflection of you. Right, yeah. Right? 
Um, I don't know where I'm necessarily going with that, but anyways, thinking about the, just the confidence level as you and as an interviewer and stuff like that too. But, uh, so you're in that world, Mm -hmm. you hosted a couple shows, Uh, right? Yeah. Go ahead. You were going to. Yeah. Yeah. In that world, uh, I edited, oh my gosh, how many scripts did I edit at SciShow? More than 600 for sure. Um, yeah, Mm. a lot of editing, lots of pitching, idea workshopping, hosted a couple things. Um, the other like sub part, uh, sub section of my time at SciShow was just my time as I'll call managing editor. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, you know, I thought I was behind the curtain before as an editor. Uh, I discovered there was another curtain to go behind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah. So when I was managing editor, you know, besides the managing and the editor parts of the job, I was also doing things like sitting in on sponsorship conversations, um, getting to, to work with folks from, you know, IBM and Subaru and, um, Gates Ventures, which is a, effectively an arm of the the Gates Foundation, mm-hmm. um, so just some some notable folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was doing those kinds of things. I was in more uh, strategy and direction conversations with the uh, producers and the the now executive producer. Um, I helped relaunch SciShow Kids, mm-hmm. uh, so I worked with the producer on that. So just really getting this experience of here's what it takes to get a show up and running. Um, similarly with uh, SciShow got onto TikTok in, I think, 2020. Okay. Um, similar thing, like, how do we launch onto a new platform? Um, yeah, so it's effectively learning all of these, um, I'm going to call them business skills, okay. business production skills, uh, that turned up to really set me up for kind of the next and current chapter of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll pause there. <laughs> sure, right. And I do want to get into that. Like, the, that's yeah. the reason I brought you in to talk yeah. about the science communicating side of things. And we've spent 50 minutes talking about your trajectory there, which is intentional on my part. Yeah. Uh, I think that focusing in on how you got there might be really beneficial to other people because mm. a lot of people look at you and say, how do I get there? And don't yeah. realize that some of it's just happenstance. Some of it's being open to mm-hmm. new activities, right? Or new yeah. opportunities. Um, but I think there's a lot of power in that trajectory and that path and again i keep focusing on the little moments that can make a huge difference and that Mm. i think that does go back to what you're saying about being receptive to those those things right yeah yeah and also just something you were saying sparked a thought um with trajectories too i've had people say like oh alexis you're a natural Mm -hmm. at this on my current work right and i'm like oh friends yeah (laughs) i've been doing this for many years like i was so you know, compared to where I am now, I was so bad at this when I first started. Like, yeah. I'm not a natural. I've just practiced and been taught a lot. <laughs> right, right. What's that quote? And I'll butcher it, but it's uh, the overnight success happens in 10 years or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but so can we get into the, well, let's get into the, what was the transition from the SciShow world into mm-hmm. you today saying, hey, I'm a science communicator? Yeah. Um, how, why, how did that transition go? Uh, so it was early 2021, okay. um, January-ish, and just some various personal circumstances and other things that I, I won't go into here. Mm-hmm. Um, all in all, the end result, I was like, okay, I think it's, it's time for me to leave the SciShow nest. Hmm. Um, it's been a really enjoyable time here. I think I'm ready for the the next thing. Okay. Um, I had no idea what the next thing was, though, hmm. uh, which is maybe a little uncharacteristic of me just leaving a job without knowing what was going to happen next hmm. um but yeah i was in a you know position financially to be able to do that so it's like great i'll step off this train take a few months and figure out what the future is going to look like um so i did that stepped off the train and 
along the way, I was like, well, I do enjoy making science videos. Mm -hmm. Like, this is fun. I like doing this. And I, you know, have access to all of these really interesting areas in the Upper Peninsula. Mm -hmm. um, so as I was, you know, out and about and exploring this area, I would start asking questions of like, oh, what's that? How did that get there? And um, I was like, well, as a hobby, I've got all this free time now because I'm mm -hmm. effectively unemployed. Um, I'll, I'll make a couple of science videos about just UP geology, just mm -hmm. stuff I'm interested in. So I did a couple of those, you know, threw them out there. Uh, they got like 150 views each, mm -hmm. um, as is the way of YouTube. And then suddenly I got this email from the uh, Keweenaw Convention and Visitors Bureau hmm. basically saying, hey, we've seen your videos, all two of them. Yeah. Bless them. <laughs> uh, we've seen your videos. We would love for you to make more content about the Keweenaw specifically. Mm -hmm. um, can we support you in doing that? Or is there, is there any way we can support you? And I swung for the fences and I was like, well, I'm really interested in the Quincy mine. Hmm. Uh, is there any chance you'd be interested in funding a mini series on the Quincy mine? I was like, swing for the fences. I'm not going to ask for one video mm -hmm. as for a whole series. And they went, yeah, sure. that sounds great. Um, so it was this, I wouldn't call it a light bulb moment, but it was definitely a moment of like, huh, interesting. Yeah. Um, where I was like, I didn't leave SciShow planning to uh, get into. So what I'm doing now is a mix of freelance, but also producing more Michigan science and history videos. Mm -hmm. um, that was not my plan. But it, just having that initial conversation with the Visitors Bureau and realizing like, okay, I have this skill set. Right. There aren't really people telling these science stories or science and history stories about the UP in this way. Mm -hmm. there, there are plenty of great producers out there. And apparently there's interest in it and also funding these projects. Right. Um, so for the first few months after I was at SciShow, I just kind of like gently pulled on that thread of like, okay, what happens if I keep making more of these videos? Mm -hmm. um, and it's been a year since I started pulling on that thread. Um, and I've, you know, picked up some freelance clients along the way, but it turns out there is, uh, you know, what surprised me, a tremendous amount of interest in just getting excited about this area and, and learning about, you know, science and history in the UP and people and organizations who want to be part of that. Right, right. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I'll, I'll be able to edit that out, but the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the... Earlier, I was talking about how you, the person that's hosting the show, makes all the difference. And that's yeah. absolutely true, right? You could be saying the same exact things that you're saying, or somebody else could be. Mm -hmm. But if they're not as excited as you are or with the same personality, it makes a big difference. Did you lean in on that or did you know that? Or how did you approach that from an internal standpoint? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, it's a mix of I know that is true. And also nothing about my hosting is faked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, if you took me out to, you know, a waterfall that I happen to know about, I would probably give you the the same spiel with the same level of interest as I would if I were recording it. Right. right. Um, yeah. So it, to me, it feels more like a, um, I'm not going to say a, a pleasant bonus, but it, it, I look at myself and I'm like, oh, that's how you host videos. Mm -hmm. That's convenient. Just keep doing that. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's, there's many aspects of it. Of course, being genuine, right? Yeah, People yeah. will feel that. Mm -hmm. uh, but also the enthusiasm. I mean, you can just feel it when you watch your videos. You're just pumped, right? Thanks, And that's yeah. just, that, it's it's uh, engaging. It's contagious. Uh, 
right? Hopefully. Uh, no, it is. And I, I wonder too that you, you add, I, I put myself in your shoes and I, I, I'm very, I'm a fan of corny jokes, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. I, I, my, my family will even talk about dad jokes and stuff, this, whatever <laughs> else. Anyways, you will add a lot of humor in, intentionally or unintentionally. I think mm. intentionally, right? Uh, like I'm thinking about the mid-continent rift and there people are breaking it, the, the, they were breaking up and you said, it's not me, it's you, right? <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Are you just laughing out loud when you're putting that stuff together or what's your... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Some of it, I don't, I don't try to be funny. Okay. But if I see an opportunity and I like chuckle to myself, I'm like, well, one other person might laugh at that. And that's yeah. fine. Cause I enjoy this joke. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's, and again, it just adds to the energy and the, the whole feel of the show. Right? Yeah. Well, thanks. So I feel like lean in on that. Every time you see a corny joke, I would be all about <laughs> it. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's cool. But, um, <clears throat> the, again, there is a lot of history here, right. That a mm-hmm. lot of people are excited about, Oh yeah. but I think you do a good job of breaking it down to just engage, just be engaging. Right. It's not super technical, mm-hmm. uh, but it can be, it's technical yeah. enough. Right. Yep. Uh, I, I feel like, yeah, you just have a good blend of it. Uh, but how much of that is, it feels like it's not, I'm, I'm just thinking of how much of that is well thought out. And it sounds like you just genuinely pitch it the way that you would act, just be excited about it. Yeah. Uh, but also the in the in-depthness, whatever, is that like an intuitiveness from your past SciShow history probably? Yeah. So a thing I'm working on right now is I, months ago before winter, um, wrote this script about, it's pronounced Estevant Pines, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I said Estevant for a long time. <laughs> Estevant, yeah. Excellent. Okay. I wrote this script about the Estevant Pines nature, nature Sanctuary up near Copper Harbor. Um, because what I was fascinated about there, just learning a little bit about it, was just the the improbability of it. Um, partly because you've got these giant trees growing in what's actually a really thin layer of soil. Hmm. Um, and the trees have to worm their way into this billion-year-old bedrock to right. anchor themselves. Um, partly that, and also just the improbability of... I started learning about white pine logging mm-hmm. in Michigan um, and did not realize like the scope of the the devastation there and... All that to say, um, larger point is I wrote the script a few months ago and uh, wrote it not not off the cuff. Um, I'm a pretty detailed researcher. So every um, in my internal scripts, every fact has a effectively a footnote at the end of it with a quote of where I got that information. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't write it off the cuff, but I'll say the, the storytelling was off the cuff. Hmm. Um, I was just kind of getting something out there and, and writing it in the way that made sense to my brain at the time. And my plan was to go up and film at Estevant Pines at some point. Uh, and then winter happened. And I do not own a snowmobile, nor did I want to snowshoe to the forest just to snowshoe around the forest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so all that to say, I've uh, started revisiting this script recently and looking at it and realizing, yeah, I wrote this in the way that made sense to my brain, but this is not the most compelling way hmm. I could tell the story. Um yeah, so I guess to more directly answer your question, some of it's intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to a degree, the depth uh, I want to go into with information, that's started to feel pretty natural for the kind of work I'm doing now. Um, but things like intros, organization, you know, the hook, you're going to get to draw the viewer in, mm-hmm. um, that always ends up being really well, you know, uh, deliberated and thought out. Sure, yeah. Um, and what was that experience like? So you had... I'm kind of going back to the beginning of mm-hmm. the 
science communicating you did the two shows that and then you went and did the mini series on the quincy mine yep um but what was that experience like you had the two SciShow hosting experience mm-hmm. what was it like to put yourself out there on a uh, on a whole new level yeah um not as scary as you might think okay um yeah i think it it felt like a natural decision so it's like hosting is never something i've been afraid of mm-hmm. um not never not since middle school <laughs> Sure, right. But, you know, as any kind of adult, um, hosting is not something I've been afraid of. And when I realized I wanted to tell these, you know, Michigan UP science history stories, it was like, well, I mean, who else is going to tell them? Right. Um, and I think something that also made it less intimidating is with SciShow, SciShow has such a big audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I also ended up actually once the SciShow TikTok launched, I was one of the the hosts mm-hmm. on there. Um, yeah. So with, with SciShow, it's like you're hosting something and... You know, are 100,000 people going to see it? Are a million people going to just these astronomical numbers you can't wrap your mind around? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it didn't feel so much like putting myself out there doing my own stuff because even now my audience is a drop in the bucket compared to SciShow. Yeah. Um, it's like if I, you know, by, by quote, putting myself out there, it's like, well, maybe 2,000 people will see this video and that mm-hmm. doesn't feel as scary. <laughs> right, right. But there does seem like there is a, my, uh, a shift between SciShow you're you're one of many mm-hmm. under their umbrella and yeah. now you are the one right yeah. you are the person that's putting yourself out there it is the alexis doll show right mm-hmm. uh you don't word it that way maybe but either no, way it's, no, it's you yeah. you and you only putting yourself out there so it feels like even though it might the magnitude might be different it's a different brain space maybe mm-hmm. not i don't know what do you think yeah a little bit um i think the thing that not worries me but the thing that like nags at me at the most is actually the research part okay. of it um, it's, you know, from my experiences as a science communicator and, you know, also at SciShow, just, I spent several years late, years there. Um, I'm a pretty competent researcher. Mm-hmm. If you tell me, like, learn about this topic, I feel confident that I can get you an accurate, you know, write up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of my uh, midterm goals, I would love to hire a fact checker. Mm. Um, I think there's... Even if a fact checker reviews a script of yours and comes back and says, perfect, mm-hmm. you know, no complaints, there's a level of security in that um, versus there have been a couple of videos I've published that I've made. They're small, stupid mm. mistakes. Right. Um, just, you know, a small pronunciation error or just nothing, you know, nothing detrimental. I'd pull the video if it was a major error, mm-hmm. um, but just small things. And I think something about being like a one person production is... In, in like with a SciShow piece, if somebody calls you out and says, hey, you said this was 1895, mm. it's actually 1900. Um, then there's the the knowledge of like, okay, this script touched multiple people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not exclusively your fault, right. so to say, uh, versus if someone comes along and says, yo, Alexis, you got the date wrong. And I'm like, hmm, I have no one to blame but myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which isn't like, it doesn't keep me up at night. Um, but I will say that is the most, uh, that is the place where I feel most exposed is with like presenting research. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause it's one thing <clears throat> if you're just putting out opinions, right? Yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody, I mean, it's just your opinion, but you're, you are saying this is the fact, this is the percentage, this is the date. Yeah. Uh, and for sure, if you put enough of that out there, uh, you're bound to make mistakes or have transposed a number or yeah, yep. whatever it might be. Yeah, for sure. And I, I can understand that. And it's... <laughs> Yeah, I think that might be a good way to go about it, potentially a fact checker mm-hmm. uh, and somebody else just to have, sometimes you don't see the glaring hole into whatever you're mm. just talking, but just because oh, yeah. you're 
yeah, you're looking at it through one angle and somebody mm-hmm. looking at it from a whole different perspective can, can see a new way of that. But was that pretty sweet to do again, even though the magnitude is smaller, but I think, I do think there is a different brain space of what you're mm-hmm. in there. What was that response like from the general public? And did you appreciate that? It feels like people would be pretty excited about what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. People have been super kind. Um, it's been just really flattering and encouraging. Um, I think every time I think, well, hopefully people are interested in this. I'm always pleasantly surprised by how many people are like, oh, yes, we're very interested. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me has been, you know, it it's not a surprise. It's, it's always, you know, wonderful and welcome and so exciting when someone who's local to the UP or local to the region I'm talking about is like, oh, my gosh, I have a personal connection to this or like I, I knew about this. This thing existed. Mm-hmm. I, knew, I knew about, you know, White City but I never knew the story behind it. Like, thank you so much. Um, that's that's wonderful, but not surprising. Mm-hmm. What has been surprising um, is when people who don't live in Michigan, who have no connection to the state, or even people who live abroad, mm-hmm. like a quarter of my audience is not based in the US. Right. Um, when those people keep coming back and are just like, yeah, I have no idea where you are, but I really like what you're doing. Yeah. So keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, I'm a fan of the randomness of the internet, mm-hmm. right? The, yeah. And there, there's many little funny moments, but the, the, the comment I picture is like the, uh, the person who puts not the video we wanted, but the video we needed, right? <laughs> the, that's the classic. Uh, and you get some of that type of stuff. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, um, I had a really just, you know, wonderful experience. I think it was last summer. There's a, uh, video producer and, and, I don't know how to characterize Tom Scott, but his name's Tom Scott. He's Mm -hmm. great. He's been making things on YouTube for years. Um, I got an email from Tom Scott basically saying, which is bonkers, I do not know him. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no meaningful relationship with him. Um, But I got an email from him just saying, hey, one of your your viewers recommended um, this video you made on the the dredge in in Torch Mm -hmm. Torch Lake. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, I thought it was really good. Can I share it in my weekly newsletter? Mm. I was like, yes, Yes, you absolutely can, sir. Carry on. Right. Um, and yeah, just uh, so Tom is is based in the UK and a lot of his audiences as well. And it was just fascinating getting all of these people from the UK in my comment section being like, I never would have searched for this, but this is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You just never know. Again, it's, uh-huh. it goes back to the putting yourself out there uh, and, and just seeing where life takes you kind of thing. But yeah, uh, yeah crazy. The... At one point, we had talked about the dreaming side of things, mm-hmm. uh, and you have a video up about dreaming, and I, I think that's a cool, I don't know, I, I'm very internal myself, so I just like the thought of that, and I'd say probably call myself a dreamer, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's fun to dream, it's healthy to dream, uh, but what has that path looked like for you, and do you feel like you're following that? What's next for you? Do you have, yeah, how does that whole timeline work from an internal dream space, but also how has that changed you internally by pursuing that? Mm, yeah, I'll, I'll answer the second part of that first. Okay. Um, I think it's it's been interesting to look back over the the past year, so basically a year of being my own boss for mm-hmm. the first time um, and just seeing how much I've grown, I think especially in confidence. Okay. Um, because it was it was one thing, it really did feel at the start of, you know, this, this whole um, like Michigan video adventure, it really did feel like I was just like gently pulling a thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am very much not interested in the in the hustle culture. Sure. Um, yeah. 
which I know can be a big part of self-employment for folks. Right. So for me, I was like, well, I don't want to burn myself out. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, you know, hustle myself to sponsors every day. I don't want to make money just to say I'm making money. Right. Um, so it, it felt very tentative at first of like, okay, I'll just keep, I'll just keep doing this. We'll mm -hmm. just see where it goes. Um, and looking at the, the confidence I have now of realizing like, uh, I feel more confident in my my production skill set, especially my animating mm -hmm. than I did a year ago. Um, and I also feel more confident just emailing potential partners. Mm -hmm. um, I think just kind of settling into the fact of like, yes, I was producing this tentatively at first, but kind of realizing like, oh, I at least to me, I, I think I'm creating something of, of value mm -hmm. um, and just kind of being able to to own that and recognize I have so much more to learn, but I can be confident where I am. Too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think it's been a, a big part of um, kind of my, my journey of pursuing this in the last year. Uh, as far as what's next, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, right now I'm at a point where I'm doing some really enjoyable freelance work with clients. Um, so I, I still like being part of a team. Um, you know, being a, a currently one person production has its, has its perks, mm -hmm. um, but I also love getting to collaborate with other folks. Right. So I've got a couple of clients and I'm excited about that I'm helping them with uh, either script writing and editing or doing a little of like social media consulting with them. Um, so helping other people put good things into the world, mm -hmm. which, which is fun for me. Um, and yeah, I, I continue to enjoy the video work. And I if I had to speculate what's for the future, um, I would be happy if the next year continued like this. Mm -hmm. um, I got to work with cool people. I got to keep telling cool stories. Um, something I'm, I'm really hoping for with videos, uh, with, with my videos personally, is just I would get to keep collaborating hmm. with folks. Mm -hmm. um, because especially in, in the UP and the, you know, the Q&R region, the Marquette region and elsewhere, there are so many experts who know so much um, and could maybe just use a hand mm -hmm. getting stories out there. Um, yeah, so some of my favorite pieces I've made in the last year have been just like interviews with other people. Um, I did one last fall. That's one of the favorite, my favorite things I've ever made, uh, which was on, um, it's called the Sudbury Impact. And it was mostly an interview with this geologist named Bill Cannon. Mm. Um, and Dr. Cannon has been studying the, like this area in Marquette for more than 50 years. Mm. Um, and it was the kind of thing of like, would Dr. Cannon ever make a YouTube video about his work? Probably not, not his interests. Mm -hmm. Is it my interest? Yes. Right. <laughs> right yeah yeah no it's cool uh, there's a lot of internal growth that i think you go through in, in following those dreams right yeah uh, but also there's a i've related okay myself to real estate they mm -hmm. when you're the t t and that's the world i live in right but there is a lot of confidence that you can have internally by just putting your best foot forward i don't know oh yeah let, let me think about this is like you are putting out YouTube videos, right? You're creating content. It's engaging, but you will be able to realize that you're super passionate about it. You're diligent. You'll do the work. Mm -hmm. People engage in it, but also you can see people that aren't engaging and oh, aren't yeah. passionate about it. And then you can realize, wait, I am different. I am mm -hmm. a step above whatever else. Mm -hmm. I feel like that can help create or drive that confidence level as well of just realizing how you are really engaged and that's the difference maker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or Go ahead. Yeah. So you're even just realizing for me, I'm a different kind of content creator than some other people making things on YouTube. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of incredible videos and, and production quality and content out there. 
Um, and some of it I'm like, oh, I want to tell stories differently. Mm -hmm. Like I want to tell educational stories this way. Um, so not even always like, oh, I'm, you know, I think I'm, I'm better or more valuable than this other producer. Sure. But just like, oh, I'm going to do this differently. And this adds different value to mm -hmm. the, the YouTube space. Okay. Uh, and you mentioned you're not super obsessed about the, like the hustle part of it, right? Correct. <laughs> uh, I think that's cool. Hmm. And, I, and, I, and I guess I'm relating that back to this podcast, right? Yeah. Is I've had people tell me, hey, you should keep everything under an hour. You mm -hmm. should do this. You should do this. At the end of the day, this is purely a personal project. Okay. Yeah. Like I'm not concerned at all about the analytics, the potential length and mm -hmm. all that might burn people out, whatever. I'm doing this because I'm excited about it. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that's where magic happens, mm -hmm. where you're doing things in, not in spite, but regardless mm -hmm. of their, uh, yeah, their algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. Changes or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. Um, so it feels like long-term having this core set of principles and not that you need to define them, but just mm -hmm. staying true to who you are, yeah. regardless of how that impacts, uh, potential exponential growth or whatever. I think that's the, the ticket. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I agree with that. And I think something also about having a like clear set of principles or values or whatever you want to call them, the, especially the online video world changes so much all the time. Mm. Um, and for me, I think if I were exclusively chasing views or chasing, you know, money or chasing watch time or, or what have you, um, I would probably be on TikTok. Yeah, sure. Or I would probably be doing YouTube shorts. They're really pushing those. They're, they're TikTok equivalent. Right. Um, and those are, you know, I've watched plenty of them. You can mm -hmm. make really great, engaging, educational content. Um, but for me, I just kind of look at like, here are the kind of things I want to make. Here are the kinds of stories I want to tell. Mm -hmm. And just going, I don't think that works with the super short form format. And maybe I'll miss an opportunity there. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Would you ever consider this having a podcast? Ooh, I would consider it. Okay. Would that be fun to be able to sit down and have long form conversation? And it wouldn't necessarily have to be as uh, fulfilling on a educational standpoint, but just yeah. you exploring topics with people, would you? Yeah, I would consider it. I haven't really given much thought to it. I feel like the idea of a podcast is fun and mm -hmm. I, I love chatting with people, especially about things they're interested in. Right. Um, I feel like I would need to know more about the podcast space. Okay. Because uh, I, I also get the impression or I've, I've heard the joke of like, everybody has a podcast. Mm -hmm. um, so it would be the question for me of just like, okay, would you want to just do this for funsies? Sure. Or... Is there a, a career reason you would want to jump into this? Right. So right. I don't know, but I would be interested in considering it. Yeah. And we can talk after <laughs> yeah. about some numbers and all that kind of stuff ah, too. But cool. Um, yeah. I have thought about that too before I even started this. That is the saying, right? Everybody has a podcast. Sure. But I think the same is true for you. Everybody has a YouTube oh, video, yeah. but you can still separate yourself by being, again, leaning back towards that. How many of them are truly authentic? How many mm -hmm. of them are truly passionate and how many of them are truly excited? Yeah. You have those three things and that eliminate or that steps you up to number the top 5% instantly. Huh. Right. That's how I look at it. Okay. I, yeah. I, I don't know if that's correct or accurate, but that's how I view it. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I think, so I can only speak into the YouTube world. Right. Um, it, I, I sort of agree. I think it wholly depends on the genre you're in and the sure. kind of thing you want to make. Because um, I've also seen really popular educational channels that don't even have a host on screen. Mm -hmm. It's just photos, animations, um, et cetera. And that are also just a little more chill. Sure. And are wonderful. Okay. Um, so like uh, the, the first one that came to mind for me happens to be another um, 
complexly production, so related to SciShow, uh, is Journey to the Microcosmos. Okay. Um, it is, it's a beautiful show. It is uh, narrated in this very chill, peaceful, not quite NPR style, but mm. just very relaxing. Um, and it's exploring the microscopic world. Okay. So the video is just like gorgeous microscope footage <laughs> and like what lives in, in these waters. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, excitement will go a long way. Okay. And I also think there's room for, for other styles. I think it's just a matter of figuring out what is, what's your niche? What are you going for? And then learning like, okay, what's the most effective way to do that? Sure. Sure. Um, and then thinking about the writing side of things, you yeah. have a minor in writing. I do. How does that play into your world? I mean, currently you are, you write for your movies stuff or your videos, stuff like that. You wrote at SciShow, mm -hmm. um, but are you still pretty engaged in the writing side of things? I am. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, like you said, do a lot of writing for myself. Um, I do some writing for clients as well with, with their, their content. Um, I still write fiction on the side, so I have not changed at all since I was 10, <clears throat> apparently. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You, the reason I'm asking is mm -hmm. I've been a big reader all of my life, uh, but high school English, I didn't care at all about writing. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, I enjoy reading. I'm a math guy. Okay. Uh, I'll never need this. I don't care about adverbs and pronouns. And <laughs> I'm just being honest. I did yeah, not yeah. care at all about it. Uh, but then you get to the point where I realized how profoundly impactful writing has been for me mm -hmm. um, from a reading level. Yeah. Other people's writings, and I'll look at a, a quote, for example, and the way the words are put together it's just unbelievable, yeah. right? Uh, or you read a book and you get to this certain point or how powerful the whole book itself is. It's so powerful. Mm -hmm. And to me, that has made me really engaged in writing. Not that I need to get out there and share that with the world, oh, but yeah. I think there's just a, I am currently of the state of mind that writing can be a big place for growth internally. Mm, yeah. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think it, yes. Or I can say in my personal experience, yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, and how so, how has it helped you internally? Yeah. So I, I'm a big fan of journaling Okay. so that that feels a little more intuitive. It's, you know, a completely different kind of writing than mm -hmm. my YouTube videos, but I do a lot of, uh, like processing my thoughts in writing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think even when it comes to writing like educational content, just learning how to communicate effectively mm -hmm. and learning like how you want to communicate as a person, um, and how you want to convey things that are important to you. Okay. Um, I think for me, it's been helpful to put words to feelings, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, or like going back to, you know, a way earlier example, that idea of like, yeah, living in constant anticipation. I'm like, oh, that phrase like applies to how I want to experience the world. Mm -hmm. And now I have words for it. Like, right. oh, cool. Um, yeah, I think just getting to, you know, figure out communication, exploring thoughts, um, just processing more about who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, writing is, I, I do really enjoy writing. <laughs> yeah, and reading a lot, I'm assuming. Yeah, I read yeah. a surprisingly little amount of nonfiction okay. for what I do as a job. Uh, but I am very much into, currently, um, the uh, new adult fantasy genre. Okay. Uh, yeah, new, new adult is a genre I learned about recently and have been enjoying. Okay, I'm not familiar. Yeah, so it's, um, so young adult, I think targeted at, a lot of teenagers largely sure yeah um and has themes that are, are relevant to to that demographic mm -hmm. um and then you've got adult fiction which okay. is everything else right uh new adult is the protagonists are often like in their 20s ish hmm. um so it's kind of a, a middle ground 
And yeah, for me personally, I don't like super dark R-rated anything if I'm sitting down to read for fun. Sure. Um, which, as it turns out, rules out a lot of adult fantasy books. Hmm. <laughs> so uh, the uh, the new adult and also the, the young adult, the YA fields are just... Uh, a bit more pleasant for a night off. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but what are the themes in the new adult, right? Because the young adult is very, I guess, I mean, we could define it, right? But it's it's mm-hmm. about like finding your passion, finding your place in life, yeah. uh, struggles among peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know how to quite define it. But anyways, what is, in, the, in the new adult, what are some of the themes that you, that you find? Yeah, new adult can be similar. So okay. kind of the broad theme of figuring out your place in the world. Um, I think as a, a general theme, the characters are just a little bit more mature than in YA. Okay. Um, so an example of a, uh, I think it's categorized as new adult um, series that I've really enjoyed over the last couple of years. Uh, it's the City of Brass trilogy Okay. by S.A.G. Chakravorty, okay. I think. I, I might have butchered that. Um, but yeah, it's a story of a, a woman in her, I think, early 20s who's um, a con woman in Cairo. And it's a, a fantasy story, so she ends up getting um, swept off to this this city of of jinn of of magical beings. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story is partly about her trying to figure out her identity and how she fits into these like dual worlds that she's been thrown into. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also themes of more like um, like political conflict between the ruling families that sure. you might not find in a book for targeted at you know sixteen year olds. Right. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a little more, little more nuanced. There's a lot, or a, that's a that's a generalization. A little more nuanced. There's often a lot of gray space in the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I found it really interesting without being uh, particularly gory anywhere. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and then thinking about the writing side, you you said you journal quite mm-hmm. a bit. I do. Um, and I've I I haven't. I've uh-huh. heard from many people it's very beneficial. Um, but I've wondered it like. At the end of a busy day of work, if I had a crazy day, mm-hmm. uh, I'll be driving home and something will be making me anxious mm-hmm. at that moment. Yeah. And I don't even know what it is. And I'll have to sit here and go through my brain and be like, okay, what is it? Go down this path. No, not that. Go mm-hmm. down this path. I'll go down five, six different paths. Finally, I hit it. Okay, there it is. Yeah. And realize now that I've thought about it, made peace with whatever that thing is, and I can move on and go forward. But is that kind of what journaling is? Is like going through those paths, talking about that. Yeah. Like getting your thoughts out there until you can realize what it is that... It doesn't always have to be about anxiousness, right? It mm-hmm. can be about excited too. But anyways, right. that's where I feel like there could be a... Or I've thought about that benefit of going through that brain process of going down these avenues till I finally realize it. And usually it's the fifth or sixth place before I mm-hmm. find, out, find yeah. out that's what's bugging me at that moment. But anyways, any insight into that? Yeah. For me, that's a lot of what journaling is. Okay. Um, For me, just, you know touching on the faith thing a lot of my journaling is just the form of praying and writing okay uh because i will lose my trade of thought immediately if i try to pray out loud fun fact about me hmm. um but yeah it's a lot of just okay i'm feeling this way why am i feeling this way mm-hmm. um or you know i've uh sometimes i'll you know have things that'll come up during the day of like oh i want to think more about this later or I'm, I'm having a reaction to this now but i do not have the space to deal with it mm-hmm. let me just file it away and pull it out hmm. when I can sit down and engage with thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know some people find like chronicling their day to be beneficial. I know that's a form of journaling. Okay. Um, that's never really been for me. But yeah, sitting down and just processing the contents of my brain is is the way I journal. Yeah. Um, and another part of the writing side for me that seems so engaging is I think a ton about 
big picture human mm, stuff. Okay. And is it, I don't know if it's the right term, but like the human condition, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, just the, the crazy way of life. Yeah. Right. The cr- crazy way of human interactions, the way of uh, internal struggle and what's it all for mm. and whatever. I mean, just there's so many crazy, I think, powerful, impactful things between family members, friends, strangers, whatever it might be, non-people, the earth, the, the forest, whatever. Yeah. Anyways, um, and that I think stories can help give context to those things. Mm, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. On a really impactful level beyond sometimes even more so than just talking about them. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so there's something super powerful about that that I've wondered if writing about, writing stories that include some really high-end, like, per, not, 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 they don't have to be personal to you, mm-hmm. but high-end, impactful, universal truths about humans and their internal conflicts and whatever yeah. else. I feel like there's some benefit there. Oh, yeah. Have you explored that world at all? Have I explored that world at all? Yes, ish. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been sort of slowly. Um, so I know you can do that in, in nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, nonfiction, like essay writing, that style is just not something I really have experience in. Right. Um, so currently, it's not something I'm particularly good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been chipping away at uh, like a, a passion project, basically a, a fantasy novel for a bit now. Okay. Um, and that's a thing. Those are things I think a lot about when building characters and building conflicts mm-hmm. um, is just... Yeah, you know, ideally you want a reader to connect with a character right. and thinking about like, okay, what is this character's struggle? Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you boil it boil it down at the end of the day, there aren't that many human struggles. They mm-hmm. all just, they're just different flavors of the same thing. Sure. Um, so figuring out of like, okay, this character is driven by, I don't know, I'm going to make something up, insecurity around her relationship with her family. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that drive her actions? Right. Um, which also ends up being an exercise in like, how does that apply to, you know, the real world, to to my real relationships or um, not with that specific example, but just mm-hmm. like, oh, do any of these things apply to me and how have I experienced that? Right. Um, yeah. So I mostly explore that through through fiction, but only because I'm not good at nonfiction essay writing. <laughs> right. Right. No. And, and recently somebody said that they do not enjoy fiction. They mm. only enjoy real actual stories. And there, again, there's, there's a, a brain space there that I definitely understand. I, sure. I've read a lot of nonfiction and I really enjoy hearing crazy, amazing stories about adventurers or whatever else it might oh, yeah. be. But I've also through the years really enjoyed powerful fiction. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that in my head is like, wait, why is that? And and why is it that potentially I do enjoy fiction? Is there something wrong there? Am I only supposed to enjoy mm-hmm. the nonfiction side? And I realized to myself internally, that's what it is. Because fiction can teach you just as much about life as nonfiction, if oh, not yeah. more sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, have you read Stephen King's On Writing, that book? Oh, no, I have not. Should okay. I? I think so. Okay. I really think so. Uh, I'm halfway through it right now. Somebody recommended it to me. Uh, super interesting. I mean, you read? have you read any of Stephen King's stuff? Not in a long time. Okay. Not much. And I've very, like a little bit, because a lot of it is probably too far on the gory and the mm. whatever else. Yeah, yeah. Which is okay. I mean, that uh-huh. has its place, right? Yeah. But obviously a super well-known and a very highly successful writer oh yeah but just straight up behind the curtain as much as he can give you about writing here's what to do here's how to think about it cool and and pretty technical even like here's how to edit here's how to think Mm. here's how to have this brain space here's how many weeks you should have between your first and second draft like pretty technical stuff and why it's that way um so that's been pretty insightful 
Cool. Uh, but one of the things he talks about is that your fiction should start with the story first. Mm. It should, a lot of time, it, it, the focus should be on the story. Mm-hmm. Themes can come later. And you don't realize mm. even when you're getting into the story what the theme or the higher arching message is until you go back and look at it from an, like an outsider perspective. Interesting. Um, so I feel like that's been really cool to read. And I'm curious if that would be beneficial for you if you did explore that writing yeah. world. Yeah, I'm happy to check it out at least. Yeah, I mean, cool. yeah, again, because that's a world that I've been just passively engaged in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's usually how these things things work. I Like a, a seed gets planted. Yeah. I think about it. I stew on it for a long time. I'll read about it. And then eventually all of a sudden I'll just dive into it, right? Oh, yeah. Um, But writing that fiction story for you, mm-hmm. is that just a like a, a, a process just to learn? Or do you have intentions of putting it out there once you're done with it? Yeah. Maybe. Um, so a thing I've been trying to to remind myself is that not all hobbies have to be public, mm-hmm. um, which as someone who spends a lot of time existing on the internet is a thing I need to just remind myself of constantly. Um, so currently, it is just a, a passion project. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been reading fiction, especially just a ton of it since I was a very small child. Okay. Um, and a, a thing about me is if I see someone, if I if I get into a, a hobby or whatever, and I see someone who's really good at something, eventually there's this switch in my brain that flips and goes, huh, I want to try that, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is how I got into, I think, all of my hobbies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for me, that's kind of what it is of just, I love writing. I, I love storytelling. Um fiction writing and writing a novel is just so different from the kind of video work I do that it's it's a fun um, just change in thought process. Mm-hmm. Uh, someday, if I get to the end of the project and realize, you know, I'm pleased with it, maybe other people would enjoy it, I might pursue publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also just a whole world. Uh, so if I never jump into that, into that, that is also okay. Right, right. Who was it that you saw that was really good at writing that thought that you should do that? Yeah, I don't know if there was a singular like experience there. Um, okay. I've been uh, writing novels on and off in the sense of I don't finish most of them mm-hmm. uh, since I was 10. Okay. <laughs> so apparently something happened around the time I was 10 where I went, well, I've read enough stories. I should probably write one. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what inspires it? Is it like a big moment in your life and you want to talk about that big moment through that story or mm. is it like hey i should write or what what inspires the i'm going to sit down and write a novel yeah that's a great question and i don't know the answer okay um the the current story that i'm i'm working on um i i started it after finishing the rebel of the sands trilogy i cannot remember the author but i i enjoyed it okay um, i randomly picked it up at the library one day uh and it's you know I feel like Rebel of the Sands includes a lot of details. It's set in the desert and there's a rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more interesting than that, though. Right. But I remember finishing that trilogy and just had like the itch to write. Hmm. Um, but y- you might think like, oh, okay, great. I'm going to sit down and write something related to what I just read, related mm-hmm. to a desert or a rebellion. Uh, I sat down just unprompted and wrote like 5,000 words about this village in the mountains where it rains all the time. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, are you familiar with flow states in psychology? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they, they sound very like woo right. to, to my brain at first as someone who's used to thinking like analytically about things. Um, but I think that's often where I'm at with fiction writing Okay, is just, I don't, um, this is a very bad comparison, but I've, I've heard the, the quote, I don't know who it's attributed to of like write drunk, edit sober. Okay. 
I write sober to be clear, right, right. <laughs> uh, but just sense of like, I just write what's coming through my brain. Mm-hmm. And then later after the fact, I will sit down and look at it more critically and go like, is this actually something I want to do something with? Or like, does this make sense? Is it any good? Um, yeah. So long winded way to say, I do not know where the inspiration comes from, but somehow it shows up. Yeah. And the flow state, right? Is that where you're like, what is it? Like you're so engaged, you can't walk away kind of thing or, or how does that work? Yeah. Um, so it's the sense of just being like so immersed in whatever you're doing that you kind of just lose track of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so other examples, you know, I've heard it talked about with artists a lot. Sure. Like a painter might get so into a piece. They they start it in the morning and suddenly it's dinner time and they're like, where did the day go? Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also seen it applied like a really good video game. Sure. Um. Yeah, just the sense of being so immersed, you you lose what's going on. Right, right. But the yeah, the writing side of it, I think that's the where that portion of it. I wrote one short story. This yeah. is kind of kind of a recent thing, right? Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and when I did it, that's what it was. I was like, hey, I got inspired. This is what the thing is. I wrote down. I wrote it all one sitting. Boom, a half mm-hmm. hour, whatever yep. it was. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> whereas if I wasn't in that state of mind, I don't think I could have done that. But there yeah. is that weird moment or, or or feeling that you're in where you're just engaged to a whole nother yeah whole nother level yeah yeah and it's i found it interesting with fiction because with nonfiction, with like writing my video scripts i am ultimately writing about a a, a world that already exists mm-hmm. i guess you know if i'm writing about a waterfall the waterfall exists all i have to do is show up and describe it and tell the story of how it got there um but i found that 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 i guess flow state in particular is really helpful with fiction when it's like, okay, you, you're you also, for me at least, because mm-hmm. I, I, I tend to write fantasy, um, you're, you're building the ground as you're walking on it. Sure. Um, it's not like you can look around and go like, oh, yeah, what does what does this town look like? You, you have to make those decisions. Right. Um, and I found if my brain isn't like super locked up in critical thinking like it is when it's editing, mm-hmm. um, it's easier to just, oh, yeah, that is that way. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. I'll come back to it. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so you don't necessarily have a, a big arching plan on the writing side of things of where you intend to take it. You just found that you've gravitated towards it and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, someday I would love to say I'm a, a published author, mm-hmm. um, but I think I've heard enough about just like the process of, so if you want to go the traditional publishing route, the process of finding an agent can be incredibly difficult. Um, and then that agent selling the the manuscript to a publisher and... Um, yeah, it, it is entirely possible that I could finish, you know, a manuscript of this and think it's amazing mm-hmm. and then never be able to sell it. Right. Um, and I think I don't, I think it would detract from how much I enjoy the writing process if my end goal was always, this needs to be sellable mm-hmm. um, instead of just, I'm having fun writing this. Right. Maybe an agent will pick it up someday. Yeah. And I don't think it goes back to what I said before is there are, Everybody's got a book. Yeah. Everybody's right. got a podcast. Everybody has a YouTube video. Yep. But if you're doing it for the right reasons, it doesn't mean that it has to go somewhere, but I think mm-hmm. that's the recipe that it has to have for it to mm. go somewhere. Do you think so? I just think if you're yeah. if you're if publishing and making money is your end goal mm-hmm. or having a podcast and getting sponsors or having YouTube videos to hit views is your goal, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, it can, right? Because you uh-huh. can have this canned hustle driven thing and it can work, but I feel like for it to be impactful and have a higher purpose, it has to have those core things from the start, which is your just straight internal drive to want to do this in spite of the, not in spite, but regardless of the outcome. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I think, 
almost like a mix of both can be really important. Okay. At least if you if you want to do something as a hobby, live your dreams. Sure. Um, right. Yeah, I have many hobbies that I have no strategy around and that's fine. Right. Um, yeah, I feel like if you want to do something professionally, in my opinion, you do need the internal drive for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can get around it, like you said. But right. yeah, I think a mix of really just being intentional about what you're doing, really wanting to do it, having an interest in it, but also like pairing that with some strategy sure. can can help make it more of a thing. Yeah. Or but my thought process mm-hmm. is the strategy can come in later uh, when it's forced got in. It. Right? Okay. Yeah. When you were get to the point like the the internal focus from the start is the just the undesirable draw towards that thing. Got and, it. and and let that force strategy in. Okay, I see what you mean. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like strategy sense. will happen, right? Right. Uh, but it'll be either somebody else doing it or you'll have no other choice. Yep. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, again, many ways to look at it, but I just oh, yeah. think it's, uh, yeah. To me, it's just powerful when it is pure. Mm, yeah. But So I don't know where I'll ever go with the writing side of things, but for some reason, it's been something that's been really gripping me. And I think it's because of realizing how powerful writing has been yeah on, on my life cool yeah but you, you'll continue to pursue it from an internal just enjoyment oh yeah on. yeah i'm having a good time i i see no reason to stop <laughs> yeah right um what about on the back to the video yeah, side of yeah, things yep. the, to the uh, science creating side of things mm-hmm. do you have any favorite moments favorite memories through that portion uh I'm talking either somebody reaching out to you saying, hey, thank you for doing this. You brought mm. me back to my childhood or, or again, do you have any favorite things that happened through that whole process? Yeah. Um, are you thinking the whole, whole scope of my, my career so far or just in the last year? More in the last year. Okay. Cause I feel like that's where uh, I'm putting it on you, but that's where yeah, my yeah. brain space is for you thinking oh, yeah, about this last year. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm thinking about that process and that growth on the YouTube side of things. And I'm thinking again, it doesn't have to be anything defined, but mm-hmm. somebody reaching out to you and giving you a really positive message, yeah. uh, p- places you've been that you never would have been mm-hmm. if it wasn't for this people that you've met that you never would have met if it wasn't for this, yeah. uh, potentially inspiring other people to do chase their dreams, for example. Do you have anything along those lines? Yeah, I do. Um, so I have gotten just so many incredibly kind messages from people. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if I, I can't flag one, okay. just, I, I've gotten really wonderful messages. Um, a couple of things that stand out to me is when I published the the first episode of the Quincy Mind series, um, which is still in the middle of being published as of late April. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would get people leaving comments of like, oh, my great grandfather worked in the Quincy mine or just people sharing like, here is my family connection to this place, mm-hmm. um, which was super cool. Right. For me, just, yeah, I, I grew up downstate. I don't have this like generational connection to to Keweenaw copper mining or to anything in the UP. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just cool to see people like bringing a little bit of their history to that video. Um, yeah. And in terms of like people I've I've met and, and places I've been, I feel like every interview I've, video I've ever done has been wonderful. Um, so the the two main ones that I've been published so far, that one with uh, Dr. Bill Cannon, the geologist, okay, who, yeah, just incredible subject matter expert, knows so much. Um, as part of looking at the uh, debris from this, um, basically it was an impact that hit Ontario and buried the UP in more than 100 feet of debris in hmm. a few seconds. Crazy. Um, yeah. It, quite a long time ago, but one of the, I think one of the biggest impacts in earth history. Okay. Um, 
And as part of exploring that with with Dr. Cannon, he was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to take you into the woods and we're going to look at these random, what, what to me, are random rocks in the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being with him and him pointing out of like, here's what these grains are and here's why you're seeing these structures in the rock. And like, this was basically lava once. Hmm. Um, just felt like a really special experience. Yeah. Um, and then I had something similar. I did another uh, interview video with... Uh, Man, I always, Nick Korstad, it's either Nick Korstad or Nick Korstad. I'm pretty sure it's Stad. Okay. <laughs> For the longest time, I pronounced his last name wrong, and then he corrected me, and now my brain is just mixed up. So, yep. sorry, Nick. Um, but he's the uh, lighthouse keeper at Big Bay Point Lighthouse near Marquette. Mm-hmm. Um, and just getting to spend the afternoon with him, touring the building, he you know took me up to, to see the lens and like the beacon at the top of the lighthouse. Um, and just, yeah, these are people I would have never had a reason to connect with mm-hmm. and would have never connected with if I had stayed, you know, on the, the SciShow trajectory, which would have been wonderful, but just a completely different experience. Right, um, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's all good stuff. Um, one of the things I've been pumped on and realized, I, I probably my whole life, but realized lately is adventure. Okay. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm a big, I also I talk about it on here quite a bit. I'm a big hunter. And mm, around okay. the hunting side of things, I just love the adventure component, yeah. right? Uh, but I feel like I'm trying to tie that or not trying to. I realize that is true of life. Mm. And I realize as we're talking right now too, the adventure component goes back to what we talked about of being open to new things oh, yeah. or new suggestions, whatever else. Do you consider yourself a big adventure? For the most part. Okay. Uh, in doses. Sure. <laughs> uh, I'm also... I, I slip very easily into homebody mode okay. in the sense of I will happily chill around our house and be very content all day. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I try to keep an eye out for the opportunity to to do adventurous and interesting things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in doses. Okay. Well, I, I just think that's a cool way to look at like a, a literal way of living, but oh, also yeah. uh-huh. a life way of living, right? Yeah. Of being open to that and... Who knows where you'll be 10 years from now. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think that's what makes life interesting. Mm-hmm. Right? The adventure yeah. component. Yeah. Uh, but we should go over too. How can people find you if they want to look at your videos, look at any of your stuff? Where can they go to find oh, yeah. what you do? Yeah. The easiest place to find me is youtube.com slash Alexis Dahl. Okay. Um, Dahl spelled D-A-H-L. Yes. D is in Delta, A-H-L. Okay. Uh, no relation to the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory author. Hmm occasionally people ask that i'm like no if i stole that last name from my husband and also he is not related (laughs) um but yeah easiest place to find me on youtube uh occasionally my videos do show up on the marquette pbs station okay Um, i don't get the schedule for that but if you watch that long enough i will apparently show up Hmm. um and then you can find me on instagram at alexis.writes okay cool well alexis i really appreciate it this has been fun yeah this has been great thank you so much (laughs) for sure Hey guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.